I'm happy to say that I'm making great progress. <laughs> I hope that in another week or two that cane will stay, that walking stick will stay at home. I appreciate the expressions of sympathy this morning from you about my brother. For those with whom I haven't spoken, let me simply say that he was the next to the oldest and I was next to the youngest of nine children. I saw very little of him because he had left home, graduated from high school and left home to the time of my earliest memory. But I served as his pastor for eight years. Got acquainted with him as his pastor. And I can honestly say I've never met a man I admired more for his spiritual commitment. And uh, he suffered a stroke about five years ago, lost his speech and the use of one side he never missed church. He was there every Sunday until a few weeks ago when he fell and had to be taken to a rehabilitation center at Jefferson City. And then uh, death came and rewarded him with a touch of healing. And he can speak now. <laughs> so thank you for your expression. If we could rip off the headlines of today's paper, Get out of Florida. <laughs> the headlines underneath would center on Jerusalem and the crisis there between the Palestinians and Israel. And if we were to center the concern of the world on the great strife and critical conditions of the Middle East, we would center on the city of Jerusalem because when peace talks have made progress, it is at that point that they break down. What are we going to do about Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the holiest spot in the world. For us as Christians, it was outside the walls of Jerusalem that Jesus was crucified and where the resurrection affirmed his divinity. The Dome of the Rock sits at the spot where Solomon's temple was built. And it is that site that the Muslims believe that Muhammad ascended to heaven. It is their most sacred spot. And there nearby is a remnant of the temple, the Wailing Wall, which is the holiest spot to the Jews. So here... In the 21st century, the place in all of the world where more eyes are centered and more concerns are expressed is in the mount of the temple in Jerusalem. Our lesson today is on the building of that temple. <coughs> Jesus loved the temple. And because he did, that makes it interesting enough for me to want to know more about. For that which in all of the earth that was a part of his life, the temple was the closest to his heart. The Gospel of Luke begins and concludes with a scene at the temple. It begins with Zechariah being visited by an angel 
which informed him that he would have a son and that son would introduce the Messiah to the world. And the Gospel of Luke ends with the disciples having witnessed the, the ascension of Christ immediately rushed to Jerusalem, went to the temple, and there they gave praise to God for what they had seen. So in a sense, the temple is the bookends of the life of Jesus. It all begins there and ends there. His earthly ministry. He loved it, and that was revealed at the very beginning of his life when he reached the age of 12, and by Jewish law, he became now a Jewish man of the law, meaning that he could officially visit the temple for the first time. And he did. He was so enamored of what the temple stood for that when his father and his mother returned to Nazareth, he didn't go with them. Now, if Carlene and I were to go somewhere and we got home and found that Brad wasn't with us, we'd make a hasty trip back. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. I don't know why they didn't go immediately to the temple. They searched all day, according to Scripture, and they ended up at the temple, and he seemed to be surprised that they were concerned about him. He said, don't you know that I would be in my father's house? This is the first indication on the part of Jesus that he was anyone special. This is my father's house. This is where I need to be. This is where I want to be. We depict Jesus too often as one who taught the others in the temple at the age of 12. We speak of Jesus teaching in the temple. No, he wasn't there to teach. He was there to learn. He was asking of those who served the temple that he might know more about his beginnings, his life, and his future. He had an inquisitive mind, and he amazed all of those about with his understanding of their wisdom and the insights that he possessed that was beyond their possession. But in truth, he was there to learn more so that it could be more meaningful to him. That was an expression of his love for the temple. And as he came to the close of his life, his last visit to Jerusalem, knowing that it would be that visit that would result in his being arrested, and in his own heart and mind, knowing that it would be the end of his life, he went to the Jerusalem, for one particular reason. To cleanse the temple. We celebrate the entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Why did he go? He went to cleanse the temple. And that's exactly what he did. He affirmed the place of the temple in the lives of his people. He said to those who were there. You are desecrating my father's house. This is a place of prayer. And you have turned it into a den of thieves. And it is the only incident in the life of our Lord that we have recorded that he physically gave vent to his anger and he drove them out of the temple physically because of what he felt was a desecration of the holy place. 
it meant that much to him. <coughs> and there's much that we can learn of the temple that would influence our own relationship with Christ to be able to put our values where they belong. It is a symbol to us of the very finest in our Hebrew heritage. The temple was built, as is related in our lesson today, by Solomon. David wanted to build the temple, but God said, not yet. For whatever reason, God did not allow David to build the temple. But David had that one dream. He had accomplished so much. He had brought together all of the people who were the descendants of Abraham, to whom the covenant had been made. Now he wanted to center the religion of the people in the city of Jerusalem to unite them all there. He had united the physical, the political kingdom. Now he wanted to bring together all of the religion of the people into that one place. But God said to David, not you, but your descendants will. So when Solomon assumed the kingship of the nation, David had brought it to its zenith. The people were of one mind and one accord. There was peace over all the land. There was great prosperity. And so Solomon said, it's time to build the temple. He had been emperor, ruler, for only a short time, a few years, when the construction of the temple began. He imported the finest woods from all over the immediate world, the cedars of Lebanon. No knots in the wood that went into the temple. Everything had to be without blight. It was the finest, most expensive materials that went into the building of the temple. And lest any person touch the materials that went into the holiest part of the temple, Priests were trained to be the stone cutters and the carpenters who would build the inner part of the temple so that no one other than a priest would touch the materials that would contain the Ark of the Covenant. It was that sacred. It was a, a spectacular temple. Now, there were temples in other parts of the world dedicated to other gods, but none like this. It was, its dimensions were 90 feet by 45 feet by 30 feet. That is the immediate enclosure of the temple. But it was surrounded by uh, an opening of an area equal to 30 football fields. We could have played Tennessee and Kentucky and Auburn and Alabama and Florida. And <laughs> All of the big games that have been played there on the Kimple ground, we could have brought together 30 teams for that play, just on the compound that surrounded the temple there in Jerusalem. And then a wall surrounded it. It was a magnificent spectacle, costing, being seven years in the construction, costing more than one could ever imagine in the way of the wealth of the country. And then surrounding that was the temple of the palace in which Solomon lived with all of his court. 
it took an additional 13 years to build. So the entire compound was built over a period of 30 years. That gives you some idea of what an immense thing it was. But the immensity of the building is not what was so important about it. It was what it reflected, what it represented. Josephus, the Jewish historian, described the temple that Herod built. It was the third of the temples being built on that site. Solomon's temple lasted for 400 years. Then it was destroyed with the Babylonian invasion under Nebuchadnezzar. was rebuilt, but Cyrus of Syria, who attempted to assist the Jews on their return homeward in rebuilding their temple, did not put into it the great wealth that had been put in by Solomon. And so in 20 AD, Herod, now who was king of Israel, destroyed the second temple and built in its place a magnificent, sumptuous temple that probably exceeded Solomon's temple in its value and in its beauty. Josephus, the Jewish historian, described it as being plated with gold. And if you looked at the temple at sunrise, it would blind your eyes. Columns in front of solid bronze rising 60 feet high. Six stories in which the temple was housed. Everything, all of the vessels inside of the temple were solid gold. Precious stones everywhere. I suppose there was nowhere in the world at that time that more wealth was amassed than in the temple. And when it fell to the Babylonians, recall how they carried off all the temple ware, how they drank wine from the sacred vessels of the temple, and the hand appeared on the wall denouncing the thing that they were doing. It was a thing of majesty and beauty. All of that reflected the worldly presence of the temple. But here is the significant thing about the temple. It was built to house the Ark of the Covenant. That was the doorway into God's presence on the part of the Hebrew people. God had made a covenant with the Hebrews that he would be their God and the Hebrews would be his people. The covenant was made with Abraham, but there were no specifics other than the promise that was made to Abraham. But when Moses led the people out of bondage in Egypt, he received the covenant in stone from God on Mount Sinai. And here upon the stone were placed the rules for living by which God would honor his covenant. You keep my rules, you honor me as your God, and there will be the covenant between us, and I will meet all of your needs. You will live in peace and prosperity. And we recalled a couple of, years, a couple of weeks ago that this is exactly what happened during the time of David's tenure as king. There was peace, there was prosperity, and the Compact between God and his people was honored on both sides. So when the commandments came off of Sinai in the hands of Moses, God instructed him what to do with them, that they would be preserved. And he described the ark in which the covenant would be placed. And it was done. 
And in all the wandering of the people of Israel in the wilderness, and finally as they came into the promised land, there was a temporary housing of the Ark of the Covenant. So as the tent was moved from place to place, so the Ark was moved. It might have been an easy thing for anyone to ask, well, where is the Ark these days? And unless communication was pretty good over the land, no one would know really where it was because it was moved from place to place. David brought it to Jerusalem, <clears throat> determined that it would be placed there permanently, but it was still in a tent. He wanted to build a temple, but God said no. But when Solomon built a temple, the purpose for the temple was to build a house where God could rest and not be moved about from place to place. So the Ark of the Covenant, which contained the Ten Commandments, was placed inside that room called the Holy of Holies. No one could go into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant except the chief priest, and he only one day of the year on the Day of Atonement. At no other time could anyone enter into that holy place because that was God's presence and no one dared intrude into his presence. Remember how the psalmist lamented while the children of Israel were in exile? How can we worship God in a strange land? He's back over in Jerusalem. And we're over here in Babylon. And we can't worship Him. But it was that time in history that everything <clears throat> changed. Because when the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple, which they did, raising it to the ground, burning it, they carried away all the sacred vessels. The Ark of the Covenant disappeared, having been in the hands of the Jews from the time of its inception up until the time of the exile. It disappeared, and it hasn't been seen since. Tradition says that Jeremiah saved the Ark of the Covenant from the destruction of the temple, carried it up on the mountain, and hid it in a cave there it would rest until Israel was brought back into their promised land. If that were the case, Jeremiah was carried down into Egypt and died before he could return it to its rightful place. So I suppose if you wanted to go excavating, you might find it. And if you found it, you'd have your place in history. But no one knows what happened to the Ark of the Covenant after the time of the exile. So that when the people of Israel came back out of exile into Jerusalem, they were given the instructions that the first thing that they were to do was to rebuild the temple, which they did. The specifications being as near to that of Solomon's temple as they could possibly build, but lacking the splendor of the original temple. It was built with social funds given by Cyrus. But there was that empty place where the Ark of the Covenant would sit. It was no longer there. And here came a time in the history of the Hebrew people when everything changed from <coughs> sacrifice to the law. There was no longer the Ark of the Covenant there, so they put in its place an altar on which sacrifices could be made to the God who was no longer there except symbolically. But the aroma of that which offered upon the altar would ascend up into the heavens and God would be pleased with them. It was there the holy place that simply symbolized, though it did not hold, the covenant of the law itself. 
And from that time on, there were the pilgrimages made from time to time to Jerusalem where offerings would be made on the great altar at the temple. And it became a nation of laws. It symbolized a great change in the life of the Hebrew people. It was at that time that the Pharisees came into being and the scribes who would interpret the laws so that the people could better live by them. That was the place of the temple. Jesus knew that it symbolized their very best that Israel was and could be, and it was dear to his heart. When Solomon built the temple, he wanted it to be more than just a shrine where God could be honored. He wanted it to be a place where people could come and there they, in the presence of God, in a very special way, could have communication with God. And so at the time in which the temple was dedicated, Solomon stood before the people, spread his arms of inclusion, and he prayed this prayer. Thank you for honoring the promises that you made to my father David. When David became king, God made many promises to him. And because David kept the covenant, those promises were realized. But no longer was this the time of David, it was the time of Solomon. And so the next part of Solomon's prayer was, Reveal in me the promises that you made to my father David, and let them be realized as I am the king over your people. Begging that as God had honored his covenant with David, that he would honor the covenant with him as well. And the third part of his prayer was, let this be a place where your people can come to pray. Now we can pray to God anywhere, of course. But prayers are more meaningful when we have a place that we can go that symbolizes our stepping apart from the busyness of life. And in this place and in this moment, I can sense God in a special way. And I think every one of us has a place that we can feel something of that in our own lives. A place where we can go and say, this is where I feel God most clearly. Like the old cowboy in Texas that Bishop Goodrich talked about, Every year they had a camp meeting and he had one of the prayer groups, but he would take them out into a, under a tree out on the plains. And he said, this is where I want us to pray because that was where he found God in his life. And whenever he went to that place, it all flooded back in fresh. A place where we can go and feel God especially. When I was a student at Emory University, Grace Church downtown where... Charles Allen was pastor. Every Sunday night was filled to overflowing there in the heart of the city. It's an inner city church now, almost vacant. Then it was overflowing, standing around the walls. And at the close of his sermon, he invited everyone who wanted to, to come and kneel at the altar and pray. And the lines formed. The service was over, but it lasted on and on into the evening. 
as the people file down to kneel at the altar to pray. There's something about kneeling at the altar to pray. You can kneel beside your bed. You can pray while you're driving your car. God's everywhere. But there's something about having one particular place that you can close <coughs> off anything that would intrude into your consciousness and say, in this place, in this moment, God and I are alone. And let's talk. That's what Solomon said. Let this be a place where the people can come and pray. He further prayed, let it be a place where the people can come and find forgiveness. Of course, that was the purpose of offering the burnt offerings. Asking God through this offering to forgive me for the things for which I need forgiveness. There's something about symbolically confronting God with a confession of your sins and in return knowing that God has forgiving you for those things that you have done. This came, became a place where offerings could be offered to God in trade for God's forgiveness for the sins. And then he prayed, listen carefully, he prayed, let this be a place where the foreigners can come and be heard. Now, the Hebrew people were set apart from the rest of the world and the people of the world. They were cautioned against intermarriage in any way to bring anyone into their nation that was not their blood kin. But Solomon, the wisest man of the world, knew that God loved more than just the Hebrews. And he said, let it be a place where the foreigners can come. <laughs> Now, it's a shame that Solomon didn't live up to his press releases. <clears throat> because after having built the temple, everything now was set in place. And he went out and started building shrines on the neighboring hills for his wives to worship their gods. And he slipped in there with them from time to time and worshiped with them. And that's why it collapsed. That's when it collapsed. And when Solomon died, so did the lineage of David. So did the nation that now was once again divided. The fate of the temple during the succeeding kings would find foreign altars built inside the temple to foreign gods. No wonder they went into exile. The temple was desecrated until finally it was destroyed altogether. <clears throat> but Herod rebuilt it. His purpose was to reunite the people of Israel under him as king so that they could identify him as the one who gave them their temple. It was never finished. It was still under construction in 70 AD when the Romans said enough is enough. They destroyed the city dispersed the Jews to all the world and so that they would have no place to come back. They destroyed the temple itself. It lay in rubble. It has never been rebuilt. Only those few stones to which the faithful Jews come daily and pray, 
at the Wailing Wall. What a magnificent beginning. And what a short time it was that God and his people were one. <clears throat> Jesus loved the temple because of what it symbolized. We find that same symbol in our churches today. Who of you have been at the Wailing Wall? Number of them. What an exciting experience that must have been. I've never been. Let's take up a collection and send it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you wherever you are. Where did you hide? Thank you.